What do you think of when you hear the word church? For many people it's a, it's a huge building with a spire. Or it's a weekly religious experience of ritual and ceremony. Or it's a denomination. Or it's an out-of-date institution. A social club. Or even just a place for weddings and funerals. Maybe this is part of the reason why these days it seems so irrelevant to so many people. In 1984, weekly mass attendance in Ireland was reported to be about 90%. In 2011, it had dropped to a reported level of 18%. Now over this time, of course, the evangelical church in Ireland has been growing. As we saw a couple of weeks ago when we met up with Calvary Church in Wexford and, and uh, uh, Calvary Church Gory, sorry, and Wexford Bible Church. However, the Evangelical Church still is reported to be only a, something like 1% of the population. And so for many people in Ireland today, church is irrelevant. And this situation is reflected in many countries in the West. In 2014, the Barna Group asked Americans what helped them to grow in their faith. What helped them to grow in their faith? People offered a variety of answers. Prayer, family or friends, reading the Bible, even having children. I think it because it drives you to your knees or something like that. But church didn't even reach the top ten list. Over 50% of them who answered in this survey said that church is not to or not at all important. And for those under the age of 30, only 10% of them said that, that church was important to them. And the reasons for rejecting church were because they thought it was irrelevant and hypocritical, because of the moral failures of its leaders, or because they believed that they could find God elsewhere. But church is supposed to be important in our lives. Some church is supposed to be something vital in this world. Despite its failures and limitations, the church is important to God. In Matthew chapter 16 verse 18, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That word church there, it comes from the Greek word ecclesia, which means a meeting or an assembly of people. So the core idea of church is not a beautiful building or a religious service or an organisation. It's about a group of people that have been gathered together. And Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5 and 23, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the church is a community of people who have put their faith in Jesus, who have accepted him as their saviour and their Lord, who have committed their lives to follow him. And so the church is not a man-made institution. The church belongs to Jesus. Jesus called it my church. And so if we love, honour and serve Jesus, 
then we need to love his church. We need to respect his church. And we need to play our part in serving his church. But Jesus also said here that his church will only grow through his power. I will build my church, Jesus said. Real church can't grow through human schemes. It can only grow through the power of Jesus as he draws men and women and young people to faith in himself. And he changes lives. And he sends them out to serve. So church is the community of people who are loved by Jesus. Who belong to Jesus. And in whom Jesus is is working. So that they will grow. And so they will stand against the evil in this world. That is the church. And so our job today is not to try and reinvent the church for the 21st century so that it is relevant for people. Instead, it's simply to be the community of people that Jesus called us to be. To be the church that we were meant to be. So over the next few weeks, we're going to try and focus on this. What does it mean to be the church that God meant us to be? And we're going to do this by looking at the early Christian community in the book of Acts. And this morning, we're going to start right at the beginning. The birthday of the church. And see that church is a changed community. So we're going to read from Acts chapter 2, verse 1, down to verse 11. We'll be looking at the different verses as well in this chapter, so keep your Bibles open if you have one with you. So, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in in his own native language, Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. For 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus taught his disciples. And during this time he gave them the promise of an amazing gift. John baptized with water. But in a few days you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, had been working in people's lives before. 
In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit had come upon people to give them power to do incredible things and to speak God's word. But now something new was promised. Instead of just the Holy Spirit coming on them for special tasks and at special times, the Holy Spirit would come to stay. He would come to live in them permanently. And he would empower them to live a different kind of life every day. This is what Jesus promised in John 14. I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. Jesus called this a baptism in the Spirit. Because as well as to submerge, as in baptism in water, the word baptism also means to be identified with. So the baptism of the Spirit is the act of God by which he puts the Spirit in us and identifies us as belonging to him. And Jesus promised that this would have a huge impact on their lives. The Holy Spirit would help them to understand Jesus' teaching. He would give them peace in their hearts. He would be their counsellor, their constant friend and help and support for them. And he would empower them to fulfil their calling. Later on in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And these promises were all fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost, before this, was a Jewish festival. It came 50 days after Passover. And it was also called the the Feast of Harvest. Because it celebrated the completion of the grain harvest. And then later it also became associated with the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. But Pentecost became so much more that day. As a harvest of people came into God's kingdom. And through the Spirit, they experienced the new covenant promise of God. Not God's law written on tablets of stone. But God's law written on hearts. Jeremiah 31's promise, I will put my law in their minds. And write it on their hearts. But just like back on Mount Sinai when the law was given on tablets of stone, there were supernatural signs that showed that God was at work here. First of all, there was the sound like the blowing of a violent wind. I think this sound to some extent expressed the force, the power of what was happening in their lives. Then they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. And fire in the Bible is often a symbol of the presence and the power of God. In this way, God was showing that he was coming to live with them by his Spirit. And that day they were baptised with the Holy Spirit and they were marked out as God's.
But they weren't only baptized by the Spirit. They were also filled with the Spirit. Acts 2 and verse 4. The baptism of the Spirit was a once-off experience for these believers. However, as we'll go through the book of Acts, we'll see this filling of the Spirit being repeated at various times in these people's lives. Especially when they needed power to witness to, to Jesus, to declare the message of Jesus, particularly in difficult times. So the baptism of the Spirit was a once-off experience. The filling of the Spirit was a repeated experience. So what does this mean for us today? Well, Pentecost was a unique moment in history that will not be repeated. It was the the birth of the church. And in a sense, we shouldn't expect to see the signs of Pentecost today, like the wind and the fire, any more than we expect to see the signs of Calvary repeated as as we celebrate communion today. So the signs were for that moment in time. But the spiritual reality behind those things, the spiritual reality behind Pentecost is just as relevant for us. Now many of you will know that there is controversy about this issue, okay? So if you have a different opinion, come and speak to me afterwards and we'll have a chat about it. But I believe that the the Bible is clear. That the baptism of the Spirit is how we become part of the body of Christ. How we become part of the church. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body. We become members of the body of Christ, the universal church, through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So this isn't a gift for some believers and not for others. At Pentecost, all 120 of the believers received the Holy Spirit. The fire separated and came to rest on each of them. As a very clear symbol of the fact that each of them were receiving the Holy Spirit that day. And then this is what Peter emphasised later on when he tried to explain what was happening. When he quoted from the prophet Joel, verse 17 and 18 of Acts chapter 2. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will see dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women. This is the new covenant age of the Spirit. Given to all believers to be with them all the time. And so today, as far as I understand the Bible, there aren't any Christians who have not been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Because if they've not been baptized by the Holy Spirit, then they're not true Christians. This is what Paul repeats in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. 
And so we don't receive the Holy Spirit. We don't receive the baptism of the Spirit through a secondary experience after putting our faith in Christ. Or through a special ritual. Or through the laying on of someone's hands. Or after a lot, a lot of prayer. We don't need to wait till we reach a certain level of maturity or holiness in our lives as if we could add to what Jesus has done for us. Instead, this is God's gift for all who put their trust in Jesus. This is the amazing good news of the day of Pentecost, that this gift is for all of us. This is how Peter concluded his sermon that day. When people were challenged by what they saw and what they heard, they asked what they should do. And Peter's answer was in this, in verse 38 and verse 39 of Acts 2. Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord, our God, will call. Isn't that amazing? The gift of the God's Holy Spirit coming into our lives wasn't just for the apostles. It wasn't just for the 120 who were there that day in that upper room praying and seeking God's face. It was for everyone who calls in the name of the Lord. Whoever they were, whatever their age, whatever their background, whatever their history, or their issues, or their problems, or the mess they've made of their life, or whatever. And so this gift is for us. All we need to do is repent. Turn from living our life our own way, for ourselves and for our sin, and humbly admit our guilt before God. Believe in Jesus as the saviour of our lives, as the forgiver of our sins, and commit our lives to Jesus as the leader. And so if we haven't accepted this gift yet, today, then you could receive this gift right now. This could be the day that your sins are forgiven. This could be the day that you've been, you are adopted into God's family. And this could be the day that God's Spirit comes to live in you. Because it's simply through simple faith in Jesus. That's all it requires. The baptism of the Spirit is the once-off receiving of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, when we put our trust in Jesus. And God comes to live in us. But like the believers in Pentecost, the filling of the Spirit is something that we need to experience regularly. This is what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. He said, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled 
with the Spirit. Paul used the present tense here. So we could translate it, keep on being filled with the Spirit. This is not a once-off experience, but it's something that we need to experience constantly and repeatedly. Instead of being under the influence of alcohol, God wants us to increasingly live under the influence of His Holy Spirit in us. Daily, God wants us as Christians to turn away from doing our own thing. Or from anything that would grieve Him or restrict His influence in our lives. And instead He wants us to open up our lives to Him. Every aspect of our lives, our hearts, our minds, our will. To allow Him to direct us, lead us, guide us, teach us, empower us, and fill us. Every day He wants us to more and more allow Him to lead us in our lives. So God gives the Holy Spirit to everyone who trusts in Him. But we have the responsibility to allow Him to increasingly impact our lives. As Paul wrote to the Galatian church, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us allow Him to lead us. Let's follow where He is leading us. Let's allow Him to direct us in our lives. And if we do, then our lives will be transformed. There is no doubt that the early church was changed by this gift of the Holy Spirit. Yes, there were dramatic signs that day, like the wind and the fire. But they only lasted for a short time. But there were deeper, more substantial changes that transformed this community. And that were at the heart, the very heart of their effectiveness as a church. And over the next few weeks, we're going to have a, a further look when we study the, these changes in more detail. But I just want to finish by just mentioning a few that come out from here, this passage here. <clears throat> when the believers were first filled with the Spirit, they all began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit enabled them. They were given a supernatural ability to speak languages that they'd never learned before. These were the native languages of all of the visitors in Jerusalem that day. And the crowds were amazed because they said, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. It was like the reversal of the confusion of the Tower of Babel. Where the languages were confused and people were divided. This was a bringing together through the gift of the Holy Spirit. It grabbed the crowd's attention. But also allowed each one to hear what God was doing that day. And it declared in such a beautiful way that the gospel of Jesus was for everyone. Wherever they were from. Jesus died for them. He wants to be their saviour. Now Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 makes it clear that not everybody who receives the Holy Spirit will have the gift of speaking in other languages. That's a clear thing that, that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. Have a look at it if you, if you have got time later on. 
Because the gift of tongues or the gift of languages is just one of the many gifts of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit gives in our lives. But the Holy Spirit will always encourage us to worship God wholeheartedly. Like the church that day. It's interesting interesting that after Paul's instruction to be keeping on being filled with the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul goes on to say, speak to one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we have been changed by the Spirit, then we will be a worshipping community. We will be people who want to praise our God. For all that he has done. And all that he is doing in our lives. So that was the first change. That expression of praise and worship. But the believers also expressed a a new sense of freedom. In fact they were so uninhibited. That some made fun of them. They said they'd had too much wine. They're drunk. Now that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit will make us lose our self-control and appear drunk. In fact, it should be the opposite of that. Because one of the fruit of the Spirit, one of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit is, of course, self-control. But the Spirit does set us free. Paul, again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Not freedom to do anything. Not freedom to to appear drunk or to lose our control. Rather freedom to live for God. And that's far more amazing, isn't it? Freedom to live for God without the restrictions or the limitations of our sinful nature. Freedom to live for God without the burden of the law weighing us down and bringing us back into that that sense of guilt and burden. Freedom to, to live for God without conforming to the pressure of the world around us. It's a freedom to increasingly live the life that Jesus died to give to us. And as we'll see later on in this, in this book of Acts, this includes the freedom to really love each other. To love each other in the most amazing ways. This self-centered, competitive, argumentative bunch of disciples was transformed into a community that really cared for each other. This is the miracle of the transformation that the Holy Spirit produced in our lives. As God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Love is the first fruit of the Spirit. The first evidence of his work in our lives. And without it, we can never be the church that God wants us to be. This is what God wants to produce in our hearts. Love for him and love for each other. But I think on that day, one of the great transformations in this community was courage. Before they'd been a small community, hiding in an upper room, 
But now they're on the streets, boldly declaring to everyone who would listen that Jesus is the saviour of the world. That everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And as we move through the book of Acts, we'll see this courage and conviction continued, even in the face of intense opposition and extreme suffering. It was just as Jesus had promised. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. Of course, the transformation in this community was not complete that day at Pentecost. The coming of the Spirit did not remove all the problems in this community. We'll see that as we move on. But the change was undeniable. And this is what church is meant to be. A community of people who have been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit whom they have received through their faith in Jesus. This is the church that Jesus died for. This is the church that Jesus is building. And I pray that this is the church that we are willing to be.